Second Kings chapter 1, verse 1. Before we begin there, three Sundays ago, I answered a question that somebody asked me, and that question was, did Jesus keep company with sinners? And in trying to answer that question, my answer caused someone else to have a question, and that question was, why did you say Jesus couldn't be tempted? Well, that wasn't the question I was answering three Sundays ago, and so I unintentionally left a doctrinal thread kind of hanging out there that caused somebody to wonder about my answer. So I answered the follow-up question. And in answering that follow-up question, the reason I said Jesus couldn't be tempted is because that's what the Bible said in James chapter 1 Verses 13 through 14, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now there are two points to be made here. First is that Jesus is God, so in that respect he cannot be tempted. The second point to be made is Jesus became a man. As God, Jesus could not be tempted, because James said so. As man, Jesus not only could be tempted, but he was tempted, but never successfully. And we learn that in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 15, where it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And you may say, well, doesn't that contradict what James said? Not if you understand it properly. It actually resolves the misunderstanding. As God, Jesus could not be tempted and was not tempted to sin. As man, Jesus was tempted to sin How else could he be touched with the feeling of our infirmities? He was both the Son of God and the Son of Man. And I hope this clears up the misunderstanding for the person who asked, and maybe for some of you who might have been left wondering about it. Last week, we left off with an introduction to Israel's new king, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab. Ahaziah was a Baal worshiper just like his dad, just like his mom. And we read in the Bible that, in fact, in verses 51 through 53, where we were introduced to Ahaziah, we read that not only did he walk evil, but he walked in the way of his mother as well. And that was a phrase that was not used to describe any other king as far as I know. I haven't seen it for any other king. And in reading that and studying it, we learned, we observed how the ungodliness of Ahab and Jezebel directly affected their son, Ahaziah. And now we move to the next book and chapter, verse 1. For those of you just joining us on the internet, we're in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 1. Then Moab rebelled against Israel... After the death of Ahab. 
Does anybody remember where the name Moab came from? I'm sure some of you do. That was one of Lot's sons with his daughter. It was an illegitimate son. Moab and the other one was Ammon. So the Moabites came from an illegitimate and incestuous union between Lot and his daughter, as did the Ammonites. So Moab had become a kingdom with a bunch of people who were, by and large, the enemies of Israel and of God. But more recently in our text, going back into First and Second Samuel, First Kings, the Moabites had been scared to death to betray King David. And I don't know if you remember how he dealt with those wicked people, but he had two-thirds of them killed. And he allowed the remaining third to live, and they paid tribute to him. They paid taxes. What happens when the remnant of the enemy is left? The same thing as the Sodomites we talked about last week, isn't it? That remnant always strengthens itself to rise up against us. The old king died, Ahab, and the new one's taken the throne. And I'm sure the people of Moab knew that Ahaziah was just a chip off the old block, which is not a good saying for him. It was a rotten block of wood, by the way. But the big difference, I believe, is that Jezebel was also dead. Now, Ahab was wicked, but in my estimation, Jezebel was scarier than Ahab by a long shot. After all those times when Ahab threw a tantrum, when he didn't get his way, Jezebel said, well, just kill him. Just take it by force. That was her answer. And she stirred Ahab up to do even more evil than was already in his heart. Verse 2, and Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick. Now, a lattice is a net. Possibly this happened at a window. I can't feature someone making their floor out of lattice. That wouldn't be very smart, would it? But he fell from an upper chamber. That's an upstairs room if you're not familiar with the word chamber. And it says if he fell, but he got sick. Now, we don't know if this may have resulted from an infection because of his injuries or from just lying in the bed and getting pneumonia, as people sometimes do when they're lying in bed for some other reason in a hospital. They may come up with pneumonia. We don't really know, but we know he got sick. Now, with this setting... And having seen what he had seen in the days of Micaiah and the great works that God did, look at Ahaziah's response to having fallen, hurt himself, and being sick in his bed. Verse 2, And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go, inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. He sent them to inquire of a dead God, one who did not exist. And Beelzebub, I'm not sure if we've come across this full name before, but it's translated as Lord of the Flies. And it's 
first mention of Scripture is right here, though you may have studied it in other places and other studies in the Bible. This is the God of Ekron. And just to remind you of the history of Ekron in the Bible, it was a city that was taken from the Philistines and given to the tribe of Judah back in Joshua chapter 15, when Joshua was giving out the lots of the land according to the word of the Lord to the various tribes. So Ekron belonged to the Philistines, but God said, no, this belongs to my people. And so it was given to the tribe of Judah. And then it was overrun by the Philistines again. And then it was taken back by King David. And that's just the history of Israel and Judah in the Bible. Giving up land, taking it back. Giving it up, taking it back. When they lost land, it was always the result of sin. And when they gained land, it was the result of them turning to the Lord and God delivering their them from their enemies, and delivering their rightful possessions back to them. I call that a recipe, wouldn't you? And if you know the recipe, and in fact it's written before you, which it was in the Law and the Prophets, why would you deviate from it? Why would you make a a cake for Brother Andy and use the wrong recipe? Why, Ms. Ann would never do that to me. So it's a matter of what we might even call common sense. So... In reality, the God of Ekron should not have been Beelzebub. It should have been the God of Israel because Ekron belonged to the tribe of Judah before this time. And now the God of Ekron is said to be Beelzebub. You know why? Because it was yielded to him. It was yielded to him. There's a a similarity in what Ahaziah is asking here for his messengers to inquire of Beelzebub about whether he's going to recover, there's a similarity in that and what Ahab asked for in the last chapter of First Kings. Ahaziah is an unbeliever, and he's inquiring of his false god openly. He names him. He says, go ask Beelzebub what's going to happen to me. Am I going to die or recover? Ahab, on the other hand, inquired of a false god by using the name of the Lord. Remember, he said, go inquire of the Lord whether we should go up to Ramoth Gilead or not. Yet they didn't inquire of the Lord. So he did the same thing as Ahaziah did, but he was tricky about it. He used the name of the Lord. And Ahaziah made no pretense. He said, I'm not asking you to go ask the Lord God of Israel. Go ask Beelzebub, whom they truly worshipped. And if you remember when Ahab asked whether they should go to Ramoth-Gilead and take it. It was Zedekiah, the false prophet, who said, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the king's hand. But in both cases, neither king actually inquired of the Lord. It wasn't until Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet here besides that he may inquire of the Lord for us? And that was Micaiah. That was not one who Ahab wanted to hear from. So they did the same thing, Ahaziah and Ahab. They just went about it differently. So if somebody says, well, I go to the church of Satan, okay, well, that's an unbeliever. If somebody comes in here and says they worship the Lord and uses the name of the Lord, maybe sings beautiful hymns, but they've not trusted in what Jesus did at Calvary. 
They're trusting in their own works. They also go to the church of Satan. They're just in a different building. They're among a different people. They're the tares that grow up with the wheat. And boy, our lessons in Jude have taught us that, haven't they? It's wonderful how that comes together. Now go to verse 3. In fact, let me read the rest of verse 2. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, and we'll look at what he said in just a minute. But we see the word but there, and it gives us the idea that having read verse 2 and now reading verse 3, that what Ahaziah is hoping for, And what God is going to do are two different things because he said the word but. Otherwise, it may have read, so the angel of the Lord said. But he said, but the angel of the Lord said. And let me read the rest of the verse now to Elijah the Tishbite. Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say unto them, Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that ye go to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Once again, Elijah is sent alone to confront a multitude of messengers. You see that pattern in the Bible, don't you? You'll see it in the Old and New Testament where God's prophet or God's preacher, God's son, is the only one who believes like God and is sent among those a pack of those who do not. It's worth noting that the devil, on the other hand, sends out his religious leaders in groups, in packs, tries to rule by majority and popularity and sheer volume. You remember when the the silversmiths were upset because the apostles were, the, the goddess of Diana had silver shrines and people were turning to Jesus and Boy, they were upset, weren't they? Those, those uh, shrine makers, if you will, the silversmiths. And what did they try to do? They tried to shout the apostles down. They shouted them down. There was a great tumult for, what, two hours? And they said, great is Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians. They tried to shout them down. God, uh, the devil sent out his religious leaders in packs. And that's what he did again here as these messengers were nothing more than the messengers of Satan. They're sent from wicked Ahaziah, who worships Baal, to inquire of Baals above the God. That was their mission. Now, somebody asked me, hey, Brother Andy, we don't believe like you do, but would you mind inquiring of Baals above whether I shall recover from this disease? I'm not going to be that messenger. I'll say, no, I do mind, and I won't do it. (laughs) But what I will do is tell you what God's Word says, And God's word doesn't tell me whether you will or won't recover of the disease. You have a worse problem than the physical disease that's in your body right now. But they, these messengers, went on this mission obediently. You know, Elijah is not a rookie at dealing with the crowd, is he? Why, at Mount Carmel, he dealt with those 450 prophets of Baal, didn't bother him any. In fact, he mocked them and laughed at them as they were doing their holy dances on their altar and cutting themselves and all that. He said, go ahead, see if your God will come out and do what you want him to do. Didn't scare him. 
He did it in, in Samaria to find out, not Elijah, but God did this in Samaria whenever the decision about whether Ahab should fight Ramoth Gilead was there. There were 400 prophets that Ahab called and only one whom Jehoshaphat called, and that was God's prophet Micaiah. And now these evil messengers go to inquire Beelzebub, the false god of Ekron, and apparently the false god of Samaria as well. God, on the other hand, usually sends his prophets out alone. Elijah and Micaiah in our most recent studies. And you can look at other places in the Bible where that is also true. Now, the apostles he sent out in sometimes in numbers and sometimes they spoke alone. There were times when Apostle Paul was even forsaken by those around him. But God's not afraid to send out a single prophet with his message. Now, in verse 3, in the middle of the verse, this is what Elijah was to say, Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that ye go to inquire Beelzebub? It's not that God was not present in Israel. He's everywhere, all at once. But that the people did not know him as their God. They did not accept him as their God. So that's the expression there that there is not a God in Israel. God didn't move anywhere. The people's hearts moved away from him. Now this encounter between Elijah and these messengers of Ahaziah and indirectly with Ahaziah himself, this encounter reveals the level of rebellion to which Samaria under Ahab had gone and which is now continuing under Ahaziah. One, although they had the God of Israel to save them, to keep them, to provide for them and lead them, they rejected him. And having now rejected the God of Israel, number two, Samaria was on the bad end of some conflicts with their enemies. And yet even so, they would not return to the Lord. And having turned away from the Lord like this, three, Samaria turned to a dead god, Baal, also Beelzebub. And Baal's prophets had been shown to be frauds at Mount Carmel. They were killed, but Ahab and his followers still worshipped Baal, didn't they? And four, Samaria heard the warnings from God's prophets. They saw those prophecies come true. And yet here they still seek after the counsel of Beelzebub. That is deep-seated rebellion right there. That's just that's not just having a bad day spiritually. That's a deep-seated rebellion. It takes several steps. And you're go as a person, you're going to serve somebody. You you don't people who say, Well, I'm an atheist, I don't serve anybody. Yeah, you do. You serve your unbelief. And the God of your unbelief, which is Satan. Satan's the God of atheism just like he is the God of any other of the religions of Cain that allow man to think he's sufficient unto himself, that he's an island unto himself. Now verse 4, Elijah continues. Now therefore, meaning at this very moment because you've sought Beelzebub's counsel, now therefore, thus saith the Lord, 
Thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. Regardless of what message from Beelzebub, these messengers would come back with. God said, the real answer is, you're not coming down. So they could either go to Beelzebub, as it were, and come back with some sort of prophecy about Ahaziah's health, or they could just go straight back to Ahaziah right now. It really didn't matter because God said he's not coming down off the sickbed on which thou art gone up. That is, you got into the bed. He said, thou art gone up, but thou wilt not come down, if I may phrase it that way, on which thou art gone up. You got into the bed, but you're not getting out of the bed. By Ahaziah's own will, he got into the bed, being sick after falling from the upper chamber. Perhaps he was helped, but had he said, don't you lay me in that bed, his his courtiers, those who handled him, his handlers, would have put him somewhere else of his liking. So by Ahaziah's will, he got into the bed. By God's will, he would stay in that bed. Now follow this. And he said, but will surely die. Not only thou wilt not come down, or thou shalt not come down from that bed, but will surely die. Not only are you not going to come down from the bed, but you're going to die in it. As I studied the Proverbs in my nightly reading, I came across one, and there are many others, by the way, but one that aptly describes this scene right here. Now listen to it. Proverbs 16, verse 9. 16, verse 9. It says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. So a man may choose evil or good. God doesn't make that decision for him. However, once he chooses one way or the other, the steps on that path are directed by the Lord. It doesn't mean that it's God's perfect will for someone to choose the evil way. It's not. He didn't tell us, well, choose the evil way. He says, choose the good way and walk in it. It means that once that man says, as the proverb said, once he devises his way, once he says, I'm going to go the evil way, then the things that happen along that way are directed by the Lord. They're called consequences. Example, I'm going to give you a few, by the way. Adam and Eve had a choice to make. Do we eat of the forbidden fruit or not? Now, what did God told them? Don't. He didn't say, you guys choose, man, it's up to you. Whichever way you go, I'm fine with. He said, do not, and not only do not, because when you do, you're going to die. So the good way was to obey God and leave that tree alone. Don't eat of its fruit. And the evil way was to disobey God and eat of the fruit. So in that moment, or in those few moments, Adam and Eve both devised their own way. So we're going to eat of that fruit. God did not make the choice for them to eat the fruit or to leave it. But after they did, he directed those steps. The shame they felt at their nakedness, that was directed by the Lord. They had no shame before sin entered into the world. But why else would they put those 
leaves upon them. They could not disobey God and then say, oh, wait a minute, we're going to change up the steps that happen after this. They couldn't say, well, I'm going to disobey God, but he's going to leave me in the garden. I'm going to choose for him to leave me in the garden. No, when you devise your way, then the Lord directs those steps. And do not take that to mean, well, God makes you sin after you choose the wrong way. No, he doesn't. It's the consequence of you taking that way. It's very important that you understand that. So when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they could not turn around and say, yet we will feel no shame for our nakedness having sinned because that's a step that was directed when they took that evil path. And even further than that, God directed their steps out of that garden. That wasn't a choice they had. Well, you know what? We're sorry. We won't do it again. Give us, take away this shame from us and we'll take these leaves off and we'll just start over like nothing ever happened. That's not God's holiness. God's holiness cannot stand that. It's akin to what we've been studying in the first chapter of Proverbs. Once wisdom has been mocked, then wisdom mocks. And then the bitter fruit comes forth as we're still studying. In our text, once Ahaziah devised his way by appealing to Beelzebub about his disease, about his sickness, then God directed Ahaziah's steps by making sure he would never get out of that sick bed. Ahaziah, in this case, and we have the mind of God because we see it in, in writing. God tells us exactly what his mind is on this matter. Ahaziah devised his way. I'm going to inquire Beelzebub. And once he did that, God directed his steps. You're not getting out of that bed. You're going to die right there. Ahaziah didn't have the, uh, the authority to change what would happen. Well, I inquired of Beelzebub, and you know what? I'm going to get up in this bed, and I'm going to get right back out of it again. You don't get to choose that. He gave up the right to decide what steps he would take when he followed that evil way. We don't get to decide the consequences of our evil decisions. God's laid them out for us. And friends, he tells us about them right here. He tells us what will happen when we do wrong. He tells you, if you devise this way, here are the steps you're going to take. And that's the way it is. So when you go down that way, you can't say, oh, God, if I'd have only known. You do know. If you'll just read it, believe it, accept it. That's why it's so important that you come to Bible study. You may be studying one thing at home and pastor's preaching on one thing here and, and I'm teaching from another book here and you're getting a, a good dose of Bible throughout the week and particularly on the Lord's Day, I hope. And in case you're, you're still not clear on this truth, let's look at one more case. And we studied it in Jude verse 6. In Jude verse 6, and it said, And the angels which kept not their first estate, now what did they do right there? They devised their way. Kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. When these angels made the choice not to keep their first estate, that is to guard their beginning, that sinless state, then the steps they took afterward after they sinned, 
were decided by the Lord. And they're told to us here. They were cast out of heaven. They couldn't reverse that. They couldn't say, you know what? We devised our evil way, but we're not going to leave heaven. God said, no, you are. They're reserved in everlasting chains. And they can't get out of those chains. They're under darkness and they can't go back to light. And they're going to be judged on that great day and they cannot avoid it. Those are the steps the Lord directed. Now what makes those angels different from sinful man is that sinful man has a Savior who walked the steps that resulted in the choices we made. He took all that on him on the cross. All those consequences, the worst of which is separation from God for all eternity. He took that punishment, that everlasting punishment for us. Now, does that mean we don't bear in our body those consequences of our choices? No, because we do, don't we? If somebody says, man, I used to have this, this bad habit, and I quit a long time ago, but it affected my body. That's a, that's a physical consequence. You can make the application to your own lives. But Jesus walked our steps to the cross, 